Hello, and welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and as always, you can follow us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching Medium Cool Pod. That's facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. You can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram and we'll pop up, and at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter. You can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. And hey, wherever you're listening to this, please like, subscribe, follow, whatever the thing you need to do, please do it. And hey, while you're at it, leave us a rating or a review or whatever you can do. We appreciate you. So uh, today I am taking a little bit different approach. It never changed. It never stops changing here. You know, Uh, I'm going to be doing a 2022 review. I'm going to just cover a few movies that I've watched recently as I'm doing uh, my kind of last minute cram, as I always do every year. You know, every year I tell myself and I know every other critic that I'm friends with is the same way. Um, though I think they get more done because, you know, they like actually like do this for websites all the time and stuff. Um, but you know, our thing is always like, you know what, I'm going to watch more movies this year spread out. So I don't have to cram at the end and then just life happens and it just doesn't go that way. So you start cramming at the end of the year happens every time. Part of me loves it. Part of me is like, but you know, this week, uh, by and large was pretty good. Um, I mean, uh, some of these I watched uh, uh, before Christmas even, but the point is these are uh, four movies that I want to talk about from 2022, and my plan is to essentially pull kind of like three different points, make three points uh, about each film and just call it done. Instead of trying to talk for 45 minutes about a single movie, I'm going to try to break this down. We'll see how well I do with this. Uh, But for my 2022 review for this episode, I'm going to be covering the film She Said, and the ban- uh, the Banshees of Inishirin, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, and Err, Triple R, RRR, uh, the Indian film on Netflix. Um, I'll talk about that here uh, last. But uh, I'm going to start with She Said. And I just want to say, you know, I have a lot of stuff coming up. Uh, with uh, 2022 films that I'm going to be able to see. I have a lot more available to me now. Um, And uh, so hopefully I'll be doing some movies like The Whale, uh, Tar. Um, You know, there there are several films that I'm looking forward to talking about, and I'm probably going to do them in a 2022 review sort of way, um, unless I just like absolutely fall in love with some of these that I've predicted earlier this year would be like really great, like The Whale or something like that. Uh, I might uh, dedicate a bit more time, but I will say this, uh, today's show should be fun. I'm going to give you kind of little snippets. Hopefully you'll go check these movies out if you haven't seen them, but first we're going to start with She Said. She Said from 2022, directed by Maria Schrader, written by Rebecca Linkwitz. The cast, Zoe Kazan and Carrie Mulligan. Uh, release date was November 18th, 2022, with a budget of $32 million and a box office of $11.5 million, which begs the question, are good films selling tickets anymore? You know, not that like uh, like dramas and things like that or movies that have something to say ever beat you know, like uh, big blockbuster movies, at least for like the last 40 years. Um, But it would be cool if like a mid-tier kind of budget movie, uh, or even in some cases, uh, and in some, some might argue 32 million is actually a lower budget movie these days. um, These movies just don't do as well. 
Yet uh, most critics and a lot of people will argue that these are like the best movies of the year. This is an argument for another time. I apologize. I'm just saying it's interesting that she said didn't even make half its budget back up to this point. Uh, hopefully that changes in time. Um, but it is not streaming anywhere at the moment. This is something to kind of keep on your list. So whenever it becomes available here shortly, uh, you'll be able to check it out if you choose to after this. You know, little talk I'm going to do. Uh, it is about New York Times reporters Megan Tui and Jody Cantor as they break one of the most important stories in a generation, a story that helped launch the Me Too movement and shattered decades of silence around the subject of sexual assault in Hollywood. Yes, this is the story of Harvey Weinstein from the perspectives of the reporters and the victims assaulted by Weinstein. Uh, this is a narrative film rather than a documentary, though the documentary does exist. Uh, but the choice to stick almost exclusively with the victims and their perspectives uh, was an interesting choice, which I will talk more about uh, in a moment, I'm sure. Uh, the film is interesting, and it has an interesting history, uh, to me at least, because it's about, you know, real people, and and, and the uh, these people are kind of here and now, you know, not from decades ago, like something like Blonde or, or other films about, uh, you know, how Hollywood completely destroys humans in one way or another. Uh, th these are like the real victims, like Ashley Judd and Gwyneth Paltrow, among others, um, and they are in the film, and they play themselves which I find interesting. Um, and also I find interesting, Brad Pitt is one of the producers, but uh, Pitt you know, has been under some scrutiny in the past because he was aware of the sexual harassment allegations against Harvey Weinstein decades before he got the rights to this book. And uh, you know, uh, Pitt dated Gwyneth Paltrow back in, you know, around in the mid-90s. Um, and uh, Paltrow accused Weinstein of sexually harassing her in the in the uh, in the 1990s uh, while she was dating Pitt, who knew about it since Paltrow told him when it happened. Uh, you know, according to her interview on the Howard Stern Show in 2018. Now, in 2009, Pitt starred in Quentin Tarantino's *Inglorious Bastards*, which was produced by Weinstein, as were, I believe, all of Tarantino's movies, uh, *The Miramax Company*, at least and distributed by the Weinstein Company. And uh, and a few years later, he approached, he being Pitt, approached Weinstein uh, and asked him to produce the movie Killing Them Softly. Great movie, by the way. Um, and director of Blonde, Andrew uh, Dominic. So, <laughs> you know, me being a Blonde fan, I'm also a huge Killing Them Softly fan. Uh, but anyways, Angelina Jolie, who's dating Pitt, of course, and is married to him, uh, said in an interview for The Guardian in 2021 that she fought with Pitt over having uh, Weinstein produce Killing Them Softly, uh, but uh, Pitt still wanted Weinstein to produce the movie anyway, and Jolie said that it hurt her that Pitt was happy to work with Weinstein despite knowing he had assaulted her too. Um, it's pretty dark, okay? There's a lot of history behind this movie, uh, or at least the, the investigation uh, that happened in the movie because this film or rather the investigation as I said is fascinating and heartbreaking and just everything in between now as for the film itself she said was the first film ever to be shot in the real New York Times offices which I you know believe you can feel that when you watch it I noticed while I was watching that it felt like a real newsroom and then afterwards I found out why and it all made sense um, but all that said how did I feel about she said. 
Well, first, I think the film is an important film solely based on its content, okay? Um, and the, the film itself can possibly re-engage audiences with this topic, the Me Too movement and how Me Too affects Hollywood and how Hollywood affects me, all the things. Um, but that's about it, honestly. As a film, it's not really that great. Um, none of the characters are really that developed, and with the exception of their involvement with Weinstein, none of the characters are particularly interesting except one, Laura Madden, played by Jennifer Ely. Uh, but I, I was uh, really engaged in the film regardless. It was I was intrigued by the information I learned that I didn't know before. Uh, it was an interesting procedural, but uh, unfortunately, I feel no need or desire to want to watch it again, uh, because now... I've seen what makes the movie compelling and it just lacks all the things that would bring me back for more. Cause there are a lot of movies that uh, whether they be mysteries and there's a big twist at the end, you learn it. And it's like, well, why would I go back? Well, a lot of times those movies can be incredibly effective as films, right? As in, in the production and the direction and the performances. I mean, sometimes movies can really pull you in and uh, and and keep you there regardless. It's not. It's almost not about the story. It's about the journey. We know what's going to happen, but it's not about that. Let's watch it unfold again because it's that good. And this just didn't go there for me. Okay. Now that's not to speak poorly of the movie per se. I'm just letting you know. <clears throat> I don't think there's much rewatchability here. Uh, but um, for a first viewing, I think it's definitely worth seeing. Now, the second thing I want to bring up is uh, Zoe Kazan. Kazan, I don't know how to say the name exactly. I'm going to change to Kazan now. Uh, but Zoe Kazan and Carrie Mulligan are really good here. Uh, again, I, I, I wish I cared more about their characters, uh, but they are ultimately the vessels that propel the story. And, you know, uh, you know, they are the voice for the voiceless victims. Um, but, uh, Kazan and Mulligan are, are pretty good here and, and certainly carry enough of the film, uh, and contribute greatly to it being more than tolerable. You know, I know that some of these aren't, aren't like, uh, aren't the most rave review sounding buzzwords, you know, like it's more than tolerable. Um, but it's better than average is what I'm getting at. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty good. I, again, I, I wish that they were doing more with these with these characters but at the same time the film is almost exclusively focused on what happened what did Harvey Weinstein do to these people and what is the lasting effect on these women that were uh, assaulted you know and and uh, you know how do they live their lives now and what can they do about it? What are they willing to do about it? Are they still scared? You know, like, obviously, these were traumatic experiences. And I just feel like I, I never really felt anything beyond someone simply telling me a story about someone I don't know. And, and again, this sounds cold, and I, I don't mean for it to be. I think it's really important that this story is out there. And I think um, <clears throat> not just for the, the victims to get some hopefully some level of exposure in a good positive way. Um, but just like I said, you know, uh, me too, as it relates to Hollywood, it's just kind of like that needs to be remembered and that needs to be um, in the public eye in the forefront so that we can get change in Hollywood. Cause it still happens. It still does. Um, but yeah, so uh, Zoe Kazan, Carrie Mulligan, 
I think that they did uh, very well here. Again, uh, they carry the movie enough is the phrase I use, and I think that's fair. Um, this really is a a um, investigative procedural. Like, that's almost exclusively what this is. And there are times that are very touching and very heartwarming or heartbreaking. Um, and then there are other times where it's like, okay, like that's pretty heavy. I'm in, I'm interested in this because of the information, you know, like, like and it just kind of hits me in different ways, depending, you know, on where we are in the film. But the third thing I want to talk about, uh, for as competently made as the film is, and it is competently made for sure. It's actually pretty well done in terms of, uh, you know, visually and everything. Nothing is really like stands out as anything impressive per se, but I think it is actually quite well done in terms of the production uh, for what it is. But uh, it is tapping into a subject that in a way is so on the nose that it ultimately pales in comparison to better films like Spotlight or dare I say Blonde. Um the main difference between she said and spotlight is spotlight is more about the story of the sexual assault running rampant in the Catholic church and the cover up and rotations of the priests, um, who victimized those children. Um, if it, it focus spotlight focuses on the investigation more than the victims or the predators. Uh, we get to learn more about the journalists and the, you know, and as they investigate and as they learn things, um, I feel like there's more at, stake in terms of for the characters rather than uh simply the kind of uh horrors that are happening um and she said is way more focused on the latter rather than the former the the idea of the uh the victim's perspective and everything which again is very important i just wish the film as a whole was better i've already said that i'm going to keep saying it because i just really want that to be clear it's not that i think uh what is being talked about is not important or oh if it was just done better it'd be so good no it's important but uh yeah anyway so uh yeah spotlight i think on the surface they are extremely comparable um, but Spotlight is just a much better film across the board. And I mentioned Blonde because, as I said in a few episodes back when I covered Blonde, uh, in my view, it's about Hollywood oppressing and assaulting women and just like how it affects uh, people. Of course, it shows it, you know, circa the 1950s um, and before. Uh, but we see that still today, just in a different way. Um, so I see Blonde as being more about that than it is a biopic about Marilyn Monroe, which I just don't think it is. And I think Blonde is is far more subtle and indicting uh, of Hollywood than she said is, actually, because she said, again, it's so on the nose and it's telling us things that we know exist. And I never fully feel the horror of what I'm being told. I'm more hearing these stories and just feeling for these people. And I think that's like, again, really important and really good uh, to to kind of uh, inspire empathy on the right side of that history. Um, but uh, Blonde is so indicting and so vicious and so raw in those ways um, that I actually find that even better. So my, my, my point is, um, having said all of this, I don't want to necessarily just sit here and compare these films. That's not what I'm interested in. Um, uh, but, uh, for as important as she said is, it is swimming in a pool of far better films. And unfortunately that holds it back from being, uh, 
it's not quite as effective as it could be. Uh, so in sum, without its inherently compelling and heartbreaking story, she said is largely mediocre. Um, but if you haven't seen it, uh, the first viewing is actually worth your time. Uh, like I said, I think if I were to watch it again, I might not like it nearly as much as I did the first time, but since most of you probably haven't seen it yet, um, definitely check it out. I think the first viewing actually is worth your time. Um, I gave this film a three and a half out of five. If you agree or disagree, assuming you've seen it, uh, but hey, hit me up. Let me know. Uh, Medium Cool Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. Hit me up. I would love to hear your perspective on this. So now we're going to switch gears and we're going to go over and talk about Martin McDonough's The Banshees of Inishirin. The Banshees of Inishirin, written and directed by Martin McDonough. Uh, cast Colin Farrell, Brennan Gleason, and Carrie Condon. Uh, release date November 4th, 2022. I don't know the budget, but I do know that the box office was $20.6 million, which did better than she said, which I find interesting. Um, and this could in part be that it got on HBO Max pretty quickly. And uh, I don't know what its uh, actual, you know, uh, theater run was. I can't imagine it having stayed in theaters very long when they could push you know, big blockbusters that would make them more money. So things like streaming services make it a whole hell of a lot easier. Uh, so anyways, it's on HBO Max right now. You should definitely go uh, check that out. It's about uh, the Banshees of Inishirin, that is, is about two lifelong friends that find themselves at an impasse when one abruptly ends their relationship with alarming consequences for both of them. The film takes place in 1923 when the Irish Civil War was full bore uh, and uh, outside of war on an island off the mainland. Uh, Brennan Gleeson's column uh, is the first of uh, the, the friend rather who ends his relationship with Colin Farrell's Podrick. Uh, this sends Podrick into an emotional downward spiral because, you know, he can't figure out why Colum doesn't, you know, uh, would just end their friendship uh, for seemingly no reason. And the premise of the movie is literally one guy stops being friends with the other and the other guy just keeps trying to figure out why. That's it. That is what the movie is on the surface. And yet it is great. It is great. It is so much fun. Fun fact, apparently Colin Farrell had uh, several incidents with animals during the shoot because there are several animals. Jenny, which is uh, Podrick's miniature donkey he, that he loves so much, um, apparently kicked him pretty hard while he was hand feeding her. Um, uh, the uh, dog that is portrayed as Brendan Gleeson's uh, uh, pet uh, bit Colin Farrell. And then uh, a horse leading a cart. Uh, Farrell was in, tried to reverse the cart into the ocean. So apparently Colin Farrell is not friends with uh, with the uh, animals. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of fun facts that you can check out and find around uh, on this movie. But I, I first want to talk about um, Brennan Gleeson and Colin Farrell. OK, we see Gleeson and Farrell together again under the direction of Martin McDonough. Uh, who also did In Bruges, Seven Psychopaths, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Also a short six-shooter. If you get a chance to see that, that's also great. Really disturbing, but it's great. Uh, of course, you know, we saw them create gold with In Bruges, 
And uh, they have that great chemistry here, too. Uh, McDonough has such a distinct humor and voice that not unlike the Coen brothers, we get actors who would otherwise probably not be seen in very many movies such as this. Um, but they're in a, McDon- a McDonough film and they just light up with a new glow. You know, it's like watching Tarantino. When Pulp Fiction came out, you would have never seen Travolta in that light or Ving Rhames even or Uma Thurman or Brad Pitt and Glorious Bastards or DiCaprio and Don Johnson and Django Unchained. Uh, with McDonough, you know you're going to see these actors do something different. And it's going to be great. Like, you just know that's going to happen. Or at least that's my expectation going in. And uh, in this case, it paid off yet again. I think the casting was perfect. I think uh, uh, the performances are great. There are some really great, subtle, kind of nuanced moments to especially uh, in uh, Brennan Gleeson's performance that I think is just so so skilled um he is such a skillful actor like a a master and and i think watching this movie you can really see that in his performance um what i love is podrick uh which is farrell's character uh podrick just keeps bothering colum which is gleason's character and podrick just keeps bothering and just like why don't you want to be friends with me anymore like what did i do to you and colum's like nothing you didn't do anything and he's like, well, then why don't you want to be friends with me? And he's just like, because I just don't want to be friends with you anymore. <laughs> like, like, that's the thing. And Podrick just, like, can't get over it. But there are some times where Podrick will come to him. Uh, he'll come to him sad. He'll come to him drunk. He'll come to him really worked up and angry. You know, and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot to Podrick's character over across the movie, all these emotions he feels, because he just can't put two and two together on this. You know, he's just like, this is like two plus three and it says it equals four. Like, this doesn't make sense to me. What is going on? And the way that like Cullum at times so warmly explains why he's doing what he's doing or but but what he's saying is so like most people would consider so mean, (laughs) but he's saying it so warmly. He's just like, listen, I just need you to know this. Okay. Like, you know, uh, you're boring or whatever, you know, like whatever the thing is that he's going to say, he's just trying, he says, it's so nice. He's just matter of fact, like, I just don't want to, I'm wasting my life with you, you know? Um, and so it's, it's, uh, it's a complete pleasure to see those two together again. I'm so glad that, uh, McDonough's, uh, doing something like this. But uh, the second thing is the, the vision of the movie is so good, too. It, it feels far more authentic, might be a good word, at least aesthetically, um, than most period pieces these days. Like, because of the way McDonough uh, approached the set, the sets and wardrobe, uh, much of Brennan Gleason's wardrobe was designed with a silhouette of the old West heroes, you know, in mind, which I just like, love that concept. I love McDonough just saying to, to some, uh, uh, like person, you know, creating all these costumes, just like, listen, listen, I, w- I want you to look at this picture. See this, see this silhouette here of this, of this cowboy <laughs> or whatever, you know, just like, like, check this out. I, I want him to look like this feels, you know, or whatever, which does give uh, Cullum's musician persona, you know, a certain folk hero vibe. Um, and of course, as I was watching and I didn't know that, you know, the old West heroes silhouette thing was a part of it. 
But after I read it, I was like, no, I get that, though. Like, it makes sense. All the main characters' sweaters were made by the same elderly man who basically knit them by hand specifically for the film. And he also knitted doubles of each sweater. Um, So everything just feels real because it is. Um, Brennan Gleeson is also a really skilled fiddle player in real life. um, And he plays all of his parts here. And that level of authenticity as well is actually surprisingly helpful. Uh, I, as a musician, I watch a lot of movies. Take Whiplash, for example. And I, I grew up as a drummer. So I watch him and he's like a billion times, like the character is like a billion times better than I ever was. I just like played metal, just like did double bass a lot and try to do blast beats. But the point is, like as a drummer, I got pretty decent at a certain point. But I like watch drummers and I'm like, they're not really playing that. And and it, it doesn't ruin it for me usually. It depends on how bad it is. But I'd say 95% of the time, it doesn't ruin anything for me. I just notice it and laugh about it and move on because it's not the point, right? But there's something much more impactful when someone actually is playing. You see this in Inside Lewin Davis when Oscar Isaac is actually playing the guitar and singing. Um, and, and you also get that here with Brennan Gleeson. And he, uh, you know, he played his parts like he did in other films. Michael Collins for 1996, The Grand Seduction in 2013, uh, Cold Mountain in 2003. I mean, he's done it before. Uh, but it works really, really well here. And there's an authenticity that I love uh, just about that. All all the while, the film uh, feels very modern, and it's hilarious. Um, like I said, for as authentic and things... When I say authentic, I also don't necessarily mean authentic to the period. I just mean uh, the vision that McDonough has feels authentic. Take that for what it's worth. I mean, I don't know how to better say that. Um, but it does feel very modern, though. And I actually uh, found The Banshees of Inisherin to be more akin to Martin McDonough's brother's film, Calvary, um, John Michael McDonough's film. Uh, I feel like it's closer to Calvary more so than it is to Martin McDonough's past films, like In Bruges or something. Uh, so if you're a fan of Calvary, you should definitely check this out. Uh, finally, for as traditionally Irish as the film sounds, um, while working on the score of the film, composer Carter Burwell said director Martin McDonough gave him one golden rule by which to abide. No traditional Irish music. <laughs> the score is actually great and is perfectly fitting for you know, for the film. Same goes for the cinematography, too. Uh, ben Davis, who worked with Martin McDonough uh, since Seven Psychopaths, uh, did the cinematography here and uh, just watch the trailer. And if you haven't seen the film uh, and you see that trailer of the Banshees of Inisherin, you're just going to be like, that looks and sounds great. Uh, so between the performances and collaboration, uh, the authentic aesthetic and the score and cinematography, this film is great fun to watch. And, and uh, that's what I would call it fun. It didn't blow my mind, but I also didn't need it to. It is what it is, and I like that thing. I gave the the Banshees of Inisherin a high 4 out of 5. Uh if you agree or disagree, again, hit us up on social media, Medium Coupon on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I will be right back to talk about Glass Onion, a knives out mystery. Glass 
Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery written and directed by Ryan Johnson. Cast, and this is the, the biggest cast of the whole bunch today here. Uh, Daniel Craig, Edward Norton, Kate Hudson, Dave Bautista, Janelle Monet, uh, Catherine Hahn, and Leslie Odom Jr. Uh, release date was December 23rd, 2022. Uh, the budget was $40 million. Box office is $15 million, but I, I think this is likely due to the Netflix streaming because... Hey, it's on Netflix. Um, I think Glass Onion was also in theaters, but I, I mean, I just imagine ne the Netflix streaming uh, had a big part to play in that box office number. Um, world famous detective Benoit Blanc heads to Greece to peel back the layers of a mystery surrounding a tech billionaire and his eclectic crew of friends. During the COVID-19 pandemic in May 2020, Miles Braun, who's played by Edward Norton, um, the aforementioned billionaire and co-founder of the technology company Alpha, decides to host a murder mystery game at his mansion, the Glass Onion, on his private island in Greece. He invites five friends, Alpha head scientist Lionel Toussaint, uh, Connecticut Governor Claire DeBella, uh, controversial fashion designer Birdie J, uh, men's rights streamer Duke Cody, that's played by he's played by Batista. It's ridiculous. Uh, and Alpha co-founder and ousted ex CEO Cassandra Andy Brand. Uh, famous detective Benoit Blanc also receives an invitation and joins the group along with Birdie's assistant Peg and Duke's girlfriend Whiskey. Um. If you were a fan of Knives Out, just right out the gate, if you were a fan of Knives Out back in 2019, you will surely like Glass Onion, okay? It is more of the same, but to me, it feels even more bombastic and ridiculous. Uh, let me start by saying that I'm a fan of Knives Out. I didn't love it. Uh, it was a solid three and a half out of five sort of picture for me. Uh, maybe four, I can't remember what I rated. I think I gave it a three and a half. I'd have to look it up, but uh, you know, momentary fun, and then I leave it at the theater. You know, that that kind of a thing. You know, it just uh, doesn't really stick with me. It's like a fun thing in the moment, you know, kind of passive entertainment to me. Uh, and, and so, done, you know. Glass Onion feels the same way to me. It is a lot of fun, and Ryan Johnson is doing something interesting, uh, you know, with what he's given here. Uh, but uh, we have to recognize that this is still just like Hollywood fodder in many ways. Uh, so do not expect anything beyond, I want to have a good time, mm, I'll watch Glass Onion. Uh, then it should be a great success. Sincerely, uh, check it out if you want to have a good time. Uh, the first thing I want to mention is Ryan Johnson's writing. I think it's really good here, actually. The uh, execution of it can be pretty ridiculous. And uh, I love how old school whodunit this feels. And I think Johnson uh, does that very well. He's no stranger to noir, as you know he highlighted with Brick in 2005. He's no stranger to semi-complex storylines like he exhibited in Looper in 2012. Uh, but in Glass Onion and uh, previously in Knives Out, I guess, uh, Johnson is able to write a ridiculous and competent story and make it all work, even if it's kind of. You know, like even if it's only kind of um, it's probably the best it can be, though, uh, under the circumstances, especially. Uh, but Johnson really leans into his clue inspiration, um, the board game and, of course, the movie. Uh, he leans into that pretty heavily here uh, to the extent that 
you know, they mention it in the film to Benoit Blanc's dismay. Uh, he hates that game, which is, you know, kind of a funny thing. Uh, but all of this ties into my second point, though, the mystery. Uh, it's not just Ryan Johnson's writing, but I am a sucker for a mystery. I I am. It's just uh, that is a thing that you can do. And to some extent, I'll probably be engaged um, now, th- th- this second point can drastically diminish upon future viewings, I feel. Um, but uh, based on my first and only viewing, it was a lot of fun to try to put it together. I knew who did the thing like from the beginning. Um, I called it. it. I didn't think it was that hard to call, uh, but it didn't matter because I was interested in seeing what happened next. And that is key. Uh, And part of the reason I wanted to see what happens next, in all honesty, is Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc. Um, This is kind of my third point here. Uh, All of the characters are rather obnoxious, not in a bad way per se, but they're just all dumb. (laughs) Like, that's that's part of the fun, I guess. Um, But Benoit Blanc is a character I actually really like. And even in Knives Out, I wasn't sure I liked him all that much. But I have kind of been able to conquer like have a more concrete opinion on that. I think I like uh, Blanc, but I repeat, I remember people on my social media scrutinizing Craig after knives out calling him kind of silly or ridiculous with that accent, you know, um, that kind of New Orleans accent, that Creole accent or whatever. Um, but I think he fits much better here in Glass Onion, likely because all of the characters are elevated even more, so he doesn't really stand out as much. Uh, but I am a fan of of Ryan Johnson. Um, you know, as I've said throughout this little bit here on Glass Onion, uh, I liked Brick and Looper a lot. I haven't seen The Brothers Bloom, and I hated Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Uh, but despite hating that Star Wars installment, Brick and Looper did something for me, particularly Looper. And I, I need to rewatch it and have an updated opinion because I haven't seen that in years. I mean, it came out, God, 11 years ago, which is crazy. Uh, but I remember liking it a lot. And Johnson still has some magic in him, I believe. I truly do. And though I don't think Glass Onion fully exposes that magic, it's a damn good time. And I think that... If you're able to see Glass Onion, uh, you should definitely check it out. It's on Netflix. Again, it's a fun time. There's, It's not anything crazy, okay? But it's, like I said, you're going to kill a couple hours and, you know, have a decent time along the way. Uh, I gave this film a three and a half out of five. If you agree or disagree, please let me know. I would love to hear your thoughts. Social media, Medium Cool Pod, check us out. I am going to come back with my last film of the day. Stay tuned. All right, everybody. The last movie of the day. R-R-R. That's what I'm going to call it. I like to I like to jokingly call it R-R-R. Uh, but R-R-R, directed by S.S. Rajamuli. Uh, written by Rajamuli and uh, a, a person by the name of Vijendra Prasad, I believe. Uh, the cast is N.T. Ramaroa Jr., Ram Teja, uh, Olivia Morris, and Ray Stevenson. Uh, release date March 25th, 2022. So I'm like a good 10 months like away from this. Uh, and I, I, I heard about it a long time ago. I watched the trailer and I was like, this looks fucking stupid. Like, I just thought it looked so dumb. And I hadn't heard much about it until the end of the year. 
and a lot, it was on a lot of people's top 10 and stuff. And I'm like, really? This is wild. So I, I prioritized it, put it up there. I mean, it, it is a long move. It's like three hours long or something. And so uh, I was like, all right, cool. Like, let's jump in. And I was really excited by the end. I was really excited about it. Uh, it is streaming on Netflix. And RRR is a fictional history of two legendary revolutionaries journey away from home before they begin began rather fighting for their country in the 1920s. And in 1920, during the British Raj, uh, administer uh, Scott Buxton and his wife Catherine visit a forest in Abbottabad, uh, where they abduct Molly, a young girl uh, with a talent for artistry. Uh, from the Gond tribe. Enraged by the act, the tribe's guardian uh, embarks to uh, Delhi uh, with the intent of rescuing her under the guise of a Muslim man named Akhtar. Elsewhere, uh, sympathetic uh, people sympathetic to the Raj warn Scott's office of the impending danger. Uh, undeterred, Catherine enlists the assistance of A. Rama Raju, an ambitious officer uh, in the Indian Imperial Police to quell the threat. Embarking on his new assignment, Raju and his uncle attend several pro-independence gatherings in the hopes to find clues. His op- uh, his opinions uh, attract the attention of uh, Bahim's gullible aide. Uh, and uh, from here, wild action, romance, and music ensues. Um, RRR is an Indian uh, Telugu language epic action drama. It has, uh, you know, it's been recognized for dozens of awards, winning 24 globally. And out of 73 nominations, uh, two of which were at the Golden Globes for Best Picture, Best Motion Picture Non-English Language and Best Original Song Motion Picture. Patrick Willems uh, gave the film five stars on Letterboxd and said, this is someone I follow, and said, RRR is the best action movie of the year, the best musical of the year, the best romantic comedy of the year, the best historical drama of the year, and the best movie ever made about fighting colonialism uh, with dance battles and armies of rampaging animals, and most of all, friendship. Uh, <laughs> critics loved it too. 94% Rotten Tomatoes score, which who fucking cares? Uh, but the aggregate speaks, right? On Letterboxd, it has a ratings average of 4.2 out of 5, which is very good. Um, and yet I watched this movie and was bored out of my mind. Can you believe it? The wet blanket is back, everybody. Uh, here are three reasons I do not like this movie. Bollywood be damned, okay? Uh, first, I have talked about this a lot on the podcast over time. I often liken it to movies like the MCU movies and things. Um, and people often talk about like, they can just be entertainment and they can, they can be entertainment. That's fine. But if there's nothing entertaining about one of the MCU movies, you can't just say, come on, man, just enjoy it and stop overthinking it. Just like you know, have a good time. If there's nothing entertaining there, what is there for me to call entertaining? Why would I like the movie just because you think I'm overthinking it? There's nothing there for me. RRR falls into this category so hard, okay? Uh, The action looks fucking lame, in my opinion. Uh, It is 
the action portions are so boring, though there are, I have to admit, credit where credit's due, there are some heavy-hitting choreography moments uh, and things. There is, uh, there's skill there at times, for sure, don't get me wrong, um, but my God, I thought it was a bore. Uh, it's, it's not ridiculous enough to be a senseless action extravaganza that is just fun and hyperbolic, uh, but it's also not done in a way that it can be taken seriously by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so it falls in this kind of rare, weird, gray purgatory um, and just dies. Uh, there is a point where one of the protagonists fights a tiger um, and it tries so hard to be cool. It being the movie, it tries so hard to be cool. And I'm just watching, rolling my eyes at how stupid this is. Um, <clears throat> there is a montage where the two protagonists have a moment akin to Rocky and Apollo Creed and Rocky three, when they race each other on the beach and then hug while jumping, you know, jovially around in the ocean, <laughs> you know, cheesy as fuck. RRR has a moment that immediately made me think of that. Um, it is just the lamest shit. Uh, and if, if the filmmaker is trying to do all of this on purpose, like, like trying to make it ridiculous or, or, you know, trying to, trying to be funny while kind of not letting on that they're trying to be funny or trying to create a cult film or something like this, it's like, you're trying way too fucking hard, bruh. All right. Like Hobo with a shotgun will never be an 80s cult film. So please stop. Right. And RRR will never be the thing that you want it to be, in my view. Um, I hate that shit. So RRR feels artificial, to say the least. Um, one of my favorite quotes about movies is related to special effects. And um, I, I was watching Turner Classic Movies once. This is years back. This is probably like 2008 or nine. And, and in between two movies, there was a, a little vignette with different people. I, I want to say like Martin Scorsese was in it and uh, different people. And they were talking about special effects. One guy cannot remember the name of this person. If I saw them, I might be able to kind of like point them out. Um, but uh, there, there was this great quote. And he said, the best special effects are the ones you never see. Basically saying if they are effective and they are kind of creating reality that we cannot create either because it's out of this world or we don't have the budget. The best special effects are the ones you don't see because they fit, they blend in so well. They add to the immersive quality. They don't draw away from it, right? And there was never a moment where I didn't think RRR looked stupid. RRR special effects are distracting and constant, okay? Uh, and, and every time, I, it just pulled me out of whatever level of immersion the film was trying to accomplish. It just pulled me out of it and out of it and out of it. Um, so, you know, if, if the fact that, like, the, the movie wanting to be this big action thing uh, is all of the action sequences are boring if that's not enough and the special effects are just distracting if that's not enough because hey we haven't talked about a lot of things in the movie right uh because i haven't mentioned <clears throat> the romance the romance aspect there's a whole kind of romantic drama 
thing going on in the movie. There's also straight up musical sequences, which is not unlike, uh, I don't think this is like a traditional, like proper Bollywood movie, but I mean, it feels like one, it still follows a lot of those Indian traditions, right? A lot of those Bollywood films have musical sequences come out of nowhere, you know, and uh, there were a lot of like Bollywood versions of other uh, popular films where Bollywood would basically rip them off, you know? Um, and, and so this movie is like doing this like big American action movie in kind of like this kind of Bollywood way. Um, and there are straight up musical sequence, like music videos, like it, the movie stops and we're watching a music video for a second that happens. And this, like, someone could be listening to this and be like, dude, this actually sounds awesome. It's, like, so ridiculous and stuff. Dude, I'm telling you, it's not that interesting. Like, that's what's such a bummer. There's nothing fluid about this. And, and again, people could just be like, dude, watch more movies from India. No, it's not that. I know what I'm watching. I'm saying this one ain't it. This one doesn't do it. Um, it is completely non-fluid. It's inconsistent in tone. At least, like, other Bollywood films can be ridiculous in certain ways I appreciate or, or they can uh, find some balance, or they're so imbalanced to an extent that it kind of baffles me, and I find that entertaining. This one is, like, just competent enough that it's annoying. It's just competent enough. There are some things it does well. I will give it that. You know, I mean, uh, they clearly had a competent production team. Unfortunately, they couldn't afford maybe uh, good enough special effects for me. Uh, but, you know, th there's a lot going on. I mean, there's a lot going on in this movie. You would have to have a competent uh, production team and stuff to accomplish this. OK. And of course, the two main actors are very skilled in their action sequences, um, in their performances, in their uh, dance sequences. Um, I don't find their performances particularly good. Actually, it feels more like a bad, like Japanese dubbed an English B movie or something. <laughs> like I don't know. It just seemed it seemed weird. Um, and yeah, I, I wasn't into that. So my the the thing is this. RRR is so beloved, and I, I sincerely don't quite understand why. Um, like I said, unless you're really into this action, unless you want to watch a guy fight a tiger, basically, or like you just want to see like someone release all these animals and they just like run around like killing people and stuff, like it's fucking stupid to me. I was literally watching this, and by like halfway through, I was dreading the next 90 minutes. But again, I can appreciate to an extent that there is competence here. I just think the movie's bad. I think that you had a competent production team making a bad movie. That's how it feels to me. I don't understand why this is so popular. It's like watch more movies. I don't know. Like I, I don't I don't know why people like it. And I don't mean to insult anyone who did like it. If you did great, I want people to like what they like. But more importantly, I would love to hear why you like it. So hit me up, mediumcoolpot at gmail.com. Send me a direct message on any of the social media, Instagram, whatever, mediumcoolpod. Because I sincerely, of all the movies I've talked about today, I want to hear why you like RRR or why you don't like it. I would love to hear any of your feedback sincerely uh, because I had a bad time with this. Um, and, and because there is competence here and because I can see some little threads of things that I can appreciate, um, I didn't go super low. Um, but, uh, this is a real low two out of five for me. 
Okay, almost one and a half. Um, so uh, that's my opinion. Uh, if you agree or disagree and you've seen the film, it is on Netflix. Um, it's long as fuck. It's 187 minutes, guys. Okay, so that's over three hours. Um, but I'm, I'm like on Letterboxd right now. And no joke, um, the, the people that I follow on here, here's the top people. Five stars, five stars, four and a half stars, four and a half stars, four, five, three and a half, five, five, four and a half. It's like, dude, what the fuck are they watching? Like, I don't understand. Um, this movie sucks to me, and I just don't know why people like it. Hit me up, Medium Cool Pod. Let me know why you like this. I am sincerely curious. No judgment. I want to know. Um, but all that said, that wraps up the four movies I'm going to be talking about for today on the 2022 review. I will be back next week to talk about some more, uh, but I'll send you off here in just a minute. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Again, that was my, those were my feelings on She Said, The Banshees of Inishirin, Glass Onion, and Knives Out Mystery, and are, are, are the worst of the bunch, in my opinion. But for some people, they'd say the best of the bunch. And I, I feel like I, there are movies that people hate, Blonde being a perfect example, that I think is just so great. Um, I'm very opposite on this one. Like it's the, I feel like I'm very rarely the person that hates something to an extreme that gets this much praise. Again, I would really love to hear your thoughts on it if you've seen it. Um, and, uh, definitely let me know. Uh, like I said, I'm going to be talking about some really awesome movies coming up here soon. Um, I'm hoping I can get some, uh, find some time to watch quite a few. I know that in a few weeks I have a buddy coming to visit me and, uh, we're going to watch a lot of shit. We, we watched like 10 to 12 movies in a few days, like a couple days or something. So I'll be knocking out a lot then. Um, but hopefully soon I'll be able to talk about the whale. Um, I'll be able to talk about, I really want to see Guillermo de Toro's Pinocchio. I haven't gotten around to that yet. Tar, um, Till, Triangle of Sadness. There's a lot of movies I want to talk about here soon. And uh, I will definitely get to them. So please, please stay tuned. And as always, guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I really, I, I don't think you understand how much I appreciate it. Uh, again, this is a hobby, this podcast. I love this. And it's really fun that uh, people listen. And sometimes they'll contact me and let me know what they think. And I really appreciate you guys listening. So thank you so much. But until next time, thank you. I love you. Good night. Good luck and take it easy.